0: Amen. Amen. Came across a quote this week that has really been sticking with me. It's from a Leonard Cohen song, uh, and it simply states Love is the engine of survival. Love is the engine of survival. Now, certainly our scriptures point to this reality and this claim. Loving our neighbors, loving the lonely and the outcast, loving God, these are all repeated themes in the Bible. And so as we come to the final week of this sermon series about our church's mission statement, I wanted to focus on the importance of love. Now, love is not specifically mentioned in our mission statement, but it kind of undergirds the entire statement itself. Today, we'll be specifically looking at that final portion of welcoming all. But I think if you're going to be welcoming all, then you're going to need to show a little love here and there. So we'll be looking at Matthew's 25th chapter for this sermon that I've titled, Welcoming All. Please pray with me. May the words of my lips and the meditation of my heart be acceptable to you, O Lord. Send your living word to walk amongst us now, to challenge our assumptions, to set our hearts ablaze, and to make us whole again. Amen. The scripture from Matthew's 25th chapter talks about the sheep and the goats. There's a song by the band Cake that some of you might know, and their refrain is quite simple. It says, sheep go to heaven and goats go to hell. It's a catchy song, but it's not a very helpful interpretation of Matthew's gospel here. It's not helpful, and yet it's often how this passage gets interpreted. People read the story of the goats and the sheep, and they say, oh, clearly Jesus is telling us that the world is made up of two kinds of people. Some are the sheep, who feed the hungry and clothe the naked, while others are goats, who refuse to act with generosity and kindness, and who will thus be punished for their actions. Sheep go to heaven, and goats go to hell, right? Right? The problem is that this type of interpretation misses the finer points that Jesus is trying to make. We can't be so quick to turn this parable into another us versus them, sheets versus goats situation. It used to be. It used to be that the Scriptures were so viewed as so important and such sacred documents filled with such nuance and subtlety, it used to be that only certain people were allowed to read them. Only the priest, who had been trained in the ways of studying the Scriptures for years and years, only the priest could have access to the Bible and read it and interpret it for the whole congregation. Now, That might make my life a little bit easier on some weeks. (laughs) But obviously, it presents a lot of problems as well. If only the priest can read and interpret the scriptures, then if the priest is feeling a little grumpy that morning, he can make it say whatever he wants. And no one can fact check him on it. This is what the Bible says, and if you don't believe me, too bad, because you're not allowed to read it. This is how it worked for a long time. But then... In 1517, a Catholic monk named Martin Luther came along and he said, That's not right. The scriptures are so important, Luther said, that people in the congregation need to have it in their own hands. It needs to be printed in their own language. They need to be hearing these words every day for themselves. All things considered, I think this idea worked out pretty well. I am so grateful that we have Bibles in every single pew in this church. I'm so grateful that you have Bibles at home and on your cell phones. I'm so grateful that we can turn to the scriptures for words of comfort and inspiration and hope whenever we might need it. But the problem, the problem is that oftentimes people use this privilege... To twist it to their own means. Just like the priests used to twist the scriptures for their own means, people today will use the scriptures to say anything they want. Because the Bible it isn't just a book, right? It's actually a library, it's a collection of 66 different books. And each book is written with a slightly different purpose, at a slightly different time, for slightly different people. And so some of the books are actually letters, and some of the books are filled with poems, and some are filled with history, and some with theology. And so it stands to reason that you wouldn't read a book of poems the same way you'd read a book of history, right? And yet nowadays, that's often what people do. They find the one line of Scripture that they want to see, and they use it to mean whatever they want. There are people who will read the Scriptures, and they'll conclude... That God likes the people that I like, and God doesn't like the people that I don't like. Well, imagine that. There are people who will use the scriptures, and they'll conclude that their violence and their hatred is justified. Preordained by God, the Bible told them so. Nowadays, we have people like Robert Bowers, Yesterday, Robert Bowers went into a synagogue in Pittsburgh and he killed 11 people. And news outlets have found his social media posts and they found that Robert Bowers' hatred of the Jewish people, he justified it by quoting scripture. He found a little passage here or a little passage there that seemed to back up his hatred for an entire group of people a hatred that led him to commit an act of mass violence. You see, we have to be so careful with this book. We have to read it carefully and thoroughly, and we have to have responsibility for what we see there. I'm sure that we can all think of countless other examples where people have used the words of the Scriptures To oppress and disparage and condemn entire populations of people. But here's the thing. Jesus actually specifically speaks out against this type of behavior. It's actually, ironically, the parable of the goats and the sheep where Jesus confronts this reality head on. Because in Jesus' day, there were people who were constantly using religion as a way to put themselves above other people. In Jesus' day, these people were called Pharisees and Sadducees. They were religious leaders, and in different ways, these groups would oppress other people through the power of religion and scripture. They had all the scriptures care they read all the scriptures carefully, and then they also inserted some ideas of their own in there. The Pharisees, let me tell you about them. The Pharisees really believed in rules and customs. The Bible certainly has a lot of different commandments and rules and customs filled in there, but the Pharisees would take it one step further. And so they would read something like, remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. And the Pharisees would look at one another and say, what do you think that means? That could mean anything. You know what we should do? We should should really spell this commandment out for the people. We should let them know exactly what it looks like to remember the Sabbath day. And so the Pharisees would really break it down for the people and they would say, you can't cook, you can't clean, you can't dig a hole, you can't move anything heavy, you can't even walk at a brisk pace on the Sabbath. And so these laws that the Pharisees insisted upon, they were inspired by the scriptures, but they weren't actually found in the scriptures. And while there were some very good and pure reasons for trying to spell out everything the way that they did, the truth is... That not every Pharisee had good and pure intentions. And so in Jesus' day, you had a lot of Pharisees who were barring people from entering the synagogue because they weren't observing every one of their created rules. And so it was often the poorest people in society who became victims of the Pharisees' ways. The people who were hungry the people who were thirsty or naked, who were worried about surviving. And and so sometimes this meant, in their quest for survival, that they couldn't observe each and every little rule that the Pharisees had spelled out. So that's what the Pharisees did. But, But let me tell you about the Sadducees, okay? Because the Sadducees were a little bit different. They had more money and more power than even the Pharisees did. They were closely connected and aligned with the Roman authorities in their days. And so the Sadducees were very concerned with the temple. And they wanted to make sure that everybody went to the temple to worship God. Because if you went to the temple, then you paid the temple tax. And if you paid the temple tax, then the Romans were happy and they rewarded the Sadducees. You see how it all works. And so the Sadducees would impose all these rules. And when they heard that Jesus was saying things like, I am the way and the truth and the life, the Sadducees got really nervous. Because if Jesus is the way and the truth and the life, then why would anyone need to go to the temple anymore? And if you're not going to the temple, then you're not paying the temple tax. You see how it works out. A system of oppression. And so the Sadducees would often pick on the most vulnerable people in their society those people who couldn't afford to pay any sort of tax, let alone the temple tax. These individuals were told, you know what? God's got no place for you because you didn't come to the temple and pay your dues. Pharisees and Sadducees, two groups of people who were using religion as a way to harm the most vulnerable. And so this is why Jesus tells the parable of the sheep and the goats. I'm giving you this background so we can see this reading with some new eyes in Matthew. Because, like I said before, many people read this parable and they just say, the good people are sheep and the bad people are goats, and so you better follow the rules. But if that's how you're reading this passage, then you're sounding an awful lot like a Pharisee or a Sadducee. And let's be clear. In this parable, the Pharisees and the Sadducees are the goats. So let's look carefully at it now. That was a long preamble, but you need the background for it. Open your Bibles with me to Matthew chapter 25. Matthew chapter 25. And we're going to start at verse 34. It's right in the middle there for you, but prior to this, right, Jesus is saying that the king will come at the end of time and sit upon his throne of glory and he will separate the sheep From the goats. And then at verse 34, we read this. Then the king will say to the sheep, Come, you that are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you gave me clothing. I was sick, and you took care of me. I was in prison, and you visited me. And then the righteous, the sheep, will answer, Lord, When was it that we saw you hungry and gave you food? Or thirsty and gave you something to drink? You see, church, the sheep don't even realize that they've been caring for Jesus all along. They don't even realize what's going on. They're saying, wait, what? When when did we see you hungry? I don't remember that. Okay, keep that in mind. Now jump with me to verse 41. And let's look what happens with the goats. Verse 41. Then the king will say to those at his left hand, to the goats, you that are accursed, depart from me into eternal fire, prepared for the devils and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me no food. I was thirsty and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger and you did not welcome me naked and you did not give me clothing. Sick and in prison and you did not visit me. And then the goats will answer. Lord, when was it that we saw you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or in prison and did not take care of you? You see... The goats and the sheep say the same thing, and yet it means something completely different. Because, you see, to goats, they think they've been doing it right all along. The Pharisees and the Sadducees have been keeping all the rules exactly as it should be. And then you've got the sheep, who don't even realize their humility and their kindness. That's the difference, Reformation. Goats and sheep are actually very similar animals. Very similar animals. They have almost the same number of chromosomes. They both come from the Bovidae family. Both male sheep and male goats grow horns. They both have four stomachs for digesting food, but there's a major difference. And this is important. Sheep have a much bigger heart than a goat. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his throne of glory and he will separate those with big hearts from those with small, corrupt hearts. That's what Jesus is getting at here. A goat or a Pharisee or a Sadducee is just concerned with following the rules, even if those rules will hurt the most vulnerable people. Goats don't care about the needs or emotions of others. They don't care about the leper trying to get into the synagogue for prayers of healing. They don't care about the pregnant woman who can't walk to the temple this week. Goats just care about themselves and the rules that they've imposed. But sheep, sheep have bigger hearts. Sheep recognize that God is generous and compassionate. And so they try to care, and follow, and care for human beings in this way. Sheep don't insist upon one rule after another. Sheep don't have to put other people down in order to make themselves feel better. Sheep have bigger hearts. And so they care for the lonely and they love their neighbors simply because that's who they are. You see, you've got goats who are so full of themselves, so caught up in their own power or their own way of doing things, that they can't believe they've messed something up. When did we see you hungry, Jesus? I don't remember that at all. And then you've got sheep who are so humble, so kind, and so caring and compassionate that they don't even realize that they've been caring for Jesus all along. You see, church, following Jesus is all about the size of your heart. It's not about keeping the rules or finding the one line of Scripture that can support your opinion. It's about living your life each day in a way that reflects the character of God. A life of compassion and patience and humility, that's what's required of us. Treating people with respect and kindness should become so second nature for Christians that when God says in the end, you always treated me with dignity, we should be surprised. When was that, Jesus? I always treat people with dignity. Which one was you? You? Our mission reformation, the mission that God has given to this church, says that we are to be welcoming of all. That is a statement about the position of our hearts. It's a statement about how we will treat one another. Just this week, we saw dozens of assassination attempts sent through the mail. And then we saw a house of worship desecrated into a crime scene. And so it's clear to me that at times like this, we need people who have really big hearts. The world needs people right now with big hearts, people who are willing to grieve with those who mourn and care for those who are scared. The world needs people who are not committed to their own agenda or their own advancement or their own ego, but rather people who are committed to loving their neighbors, even if they're different, even if they don't follow all the rules. The way that hatred and violence and ignorance has been normalized in our country every day has me convinced that we are walking through the valley of the shadow of death. But we will fear no evil, for the love of God is with us. The love of God is within us. At this moment in history when it seems like bigotry and bloodshed are the only way, we will show the world something different. We will tell the world about a God who loves the world so much that he sent his only son to die for it. Love will knit the world back together. Love will repair and renew. Love will sustain and support. And it starts here, Reformation, with us. It starts with the way we treat one another in this church. It starts with the way we welcome all people to be a part of our mission. We don't just welcome the people who like the music the way we do. We don't just welcome the people who like the worship the way we do. We don't just welcome the people who are going to follow all the rules. We're called to welcome all. To extend love and grace to every person in this church. And every person beyond the walls of this church as well. Reformation. You are loved by God. Immeasurably loved. And nothing can change that. But at times like these, we've got to show and share this love like never before. We've got to show and share this love with one another, with our neighbors, with the least and the lost and the lonely. Because frankly, those are the people who will be trampled on first. In the face of all the ugliness in this world, we have an extremely important mission to live out. A mission that can, if we're committed to it, change The world. And that mission is simple. By God's grace, we are disciples of Christ, reaching out and welcoming and loving all. Amen.